really enjoy studying uh, the book of Esther. Esther chapter 4. Have you ever, you ever had to make a decision and it was one of those decisions where you were all in? I mean, no turning back, no holding back. You had all your chips in. Maybe it was a move, a move across the country, a move across the city, maybe a change of a job, uh, maybe actually starting a company, you know, starting a business, and it had to do all in. How about how, maybe even buying a cat? Yeah, kitties are fun, but, you know, then you change your mind when they become cats, right? How many cat people we have here? All right, I'll be careful. Only three of you. You know, I did, I, let me read this to you. I, I just found this. I thought it was interesting. It says, this is really true. All right, I'm not, I'm not joking. All right. They did a, a survey of 1,000 people, and they found out that the average family would spend $10,000 to save their dog. Isn't that cool? However, <laughs> for kitties, <laughs> the average person would spend a thousand dollars i read that somewhere but you know talking about all in now i apologize to you three kitty fans here but um, you know i was thinking about thinking about this esther is having to make this all-in decision in chapter four and we're going to see the results chapter five next sunday but i was thinking about myself and some of the decisions that i've had to make all in and i this week, I was just reminiscing. When I was 17 years old, I was in Bloomington, Indiana. And my family had moved back to Indianapolis. And so I was there living with a, a Jim Fielder. Um, and I'd been there about a year because they had left for a while. And my life was just crumbling. And I, I really had to make a decision. So I made the decision to go to Indiana and move back. And, and I didn't care where I lived. I, you know, I ended up living in a garage, my mom's garage. You know, but that was, that was a life-altering decision at that time. All in, life-altering, and things begin to change. And uh, another altering decision went, was finally, after several proposals, I finally said yes to Judy. Yeah? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Actually, uh, marrying her was another life-altering decision. Then going to school in 1980, went to Indianapolis Baptist Bible College, uh, moving from one job to another because they would be able to work with my hours at school. Uh, and then moving to, in 1985, moving to, moving to Nebraska. Uh, again, all in, you know, um, you know, just, just life-changing decisions. And uh, then moving here in 2014, you know, moving here to, to start Real Life Church. You know, again, we're all in, uh, life life altering decisions. Well, that's where we find Esther. Okay, Esther's at the point in her life where she's she's getting ready to make this decision, and it's not just a decision that will change her life. As we go through this, understand, it's going to change Mordecai's life. Not just Mordecai, but there's after studying this this week, digging a little deeper, we, I find out that there's 15 million Jews living in Persia at this time. I, that's hard for me to even fathom 15 million Jews. So this, this decision, this all-in decision that she's about to make is going to change their lives forever. Okay? And she had to take this step of faith. And the step of faith was going to 
changed a lot of people's lives. Look at your notes, if you will. I got this in there. It's, it's a working definition of faith. All right, a working definition. Faith is an internal conviction. The Lord is convicting you on the inside about His Word, and it, but it's an external action. It's when God begins to stir in your heart, begin to move, and you're convicted about stepping out on faith on His book, on His Word, on His promises, on His nudging in your life. Okay, So, so Esther's about to make this step of faith that's going to change everyone's life. And even Haman, all right? We'll talk about that uh, next Sunday. All right, so let's catch up where we are, okay? Maybe you've not been here or you just need some refresher. Uh, Chapter one, we have King Xerxes. He is a what? Jerksy, all right? King King Xerxes, he's a jerk. And uh, so he has this, he decides to have this big party, calls all the men of Persia, the ranking men, uh, for six-month party. Now, the common people he, he brought the common men in for seven seven day of drinking fest so about the what was it seven days into it he gets drunk okay and so he decides he's going to bring queen vesti out and parade her because she is gorgeous going to parade her in just a crown and of course she says she was the right one in that she said no well that angered the king because it's in front of all the prominent men and uh, so he said what should I do? And so they banished her from his presence, basically a divorce. She no longer was going to see him. That was chapter one. Chapter two comes up, and then this is five years later, chapter two from chapter one, chapter two. He's depressed because he misses his queen. Duh. All right. He was drunk. Now he's sober. It took five years to sober up, probably. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what a, a six-month, six-month drunken fest would be like. Oh, yeah, that was your, your freshman year of college, wasn't it? No, I'm not okay. No, okay. So, um, so chapter two, um, he's depressed. His his uh, his uh, buddies around him come up with this idea: let's have a a beauty contest, and let's bring in a new young beautiful queen. We'll gather all the virgins of all the providence, and we will have this competition, and we will uh, choose a new queen. And he's like, ah, that's a great idea. So they come up in this chapter two. Esther becomes queen. All right through a lot of behind-the-scenes God moving because she had nothing going for her. She was a, uh, a Jew, and, of course, a Jew would never have royalty, right? And so uh, uh, God moved behind the scenes and brought her to the position of queen. Four years later, chapter 3 comes up. Haman pops on the scene. Haman is a crooked guy. He's almost as crooked as Xerxes. And he literally, I, I'm convinced, listen very carefully, I'm convinced that he pays his way into this prominent position. So the king says, you're number two, so when you go throughout the whole city, everyone has to bow down to you. Okay? And so he's, he's going along, and he's driving by in his sports car, and everybody's bowing except for one man. And that's Mordecai. Mordecai now, 15 million Jews, they all bow. They, they, they have the same God, but they bow, but he doesn't. And so the key, uh, uh, this Haman guy, everybody's bowing. You'd think he'd be satisfied. Who cares about one guy? One guy's an idiot, right? I got all these other people bowing down to me. Man, I'm the man. But he doesn't. He sees Mordecai, this one man, and he's consumed with rage. So he decides, I want to get him. But then he thinks a minute, no. 
It's just one man. I'm really going to get him. I'm going to kill every single Jew in the providence. That was his thought. So he goes to the king, and he pays the king or, or 10,000 bags of silver. He bribes the king to kill all the Jews. So they come up with this specific time. They, they do casting of lots. And March 7th of next year, they're going to kill every single Jew in the entire providence. Isn't it crazy? So that brings us to chapter 4. Now, Mordecai, the one who started all this, begins in verse 1. Follow with me, all right, as we jump into this. All right? When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes. Well, he's the reason it all took place, right? Now, this is a godly man, of course, but he rips his clothes, and he puts on burlap and ashes. That's, a, that's just a sign of mourning. And he went out into the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. All right? And he does it just one time. This is a consistent crying and be- uh, uh, just wailing out loud. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gates when they were wearing clothes of mourning. <laughs> In other words, the king only wanted positive people to enter into the the chambers, all right? No discouraged people, no depressed people, no poor people, only happy people. Do I want in here? Verse 3. And as the news of the king's decree reached the providence, now understanding the decree, the reasons Mordecai's weeping, and this decree was the decree of all the Jews being put to death. Okay? So as it reached the entire providence, there was a great mourning amongst all the Jews, or amongst the Jews, they fasted, they wept, they mourned, and many of them lay, many of the Jews lay in burlap and ashes. Now, picture this. Mordecai runs to the gate when he hears this of the palace, okay? He runs there. He's weeping. He's crying. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get to Esther. He's trying to get a message to her because she's the only one that possibly could get to the king to get the king to change the decrees. But the problem is that once a decree is made in the Medes and Persians, that decree was law, and there was no reversal. What's going to happen? You're excited, aren't you? Want to know what's going to happen? So verse 4, So when Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, and this is the first point in your message, she was deeply distressed. Okay? So here's the, here's the message this morning. Um, the decree to kill the Jews affected Esther in three ways. Number one, it affected her in the fact that she was distressed. Now, she was distressed in the fact that Mordecai was outside and he was weeping and he was wailing. He was making a public scene. Now, she's the queen and this is her father. You see that? And so she hears about this, and she was greatly distressed. So what's the first thing she does? She sends clothes to replace his burlap, but he refused. Now, help me out, women. Is this normal? When you get depressed or you get distressed that you go shopping? That's what she did. She went shopping. Is that, is that? Some of you are shaking your hand. There's even a guy over here shaking. Yeah, that's what my wife does. How many are like that? You know, we do, men, I really, I'm not going to talk about it. Let's go on. <laughs> All right, so, 
So she sends him clothes, but he doesn't want clothes. He wants a cure. So he refuses. Verse 5. She sent Hathach, hope I pronounced that right, Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai to find out what in the world was troubling him. Verse 6. So Hathach went out to Mordecai into the square in front of the gate palace. Basically, find out what was going on. Okay? Verse 7. She told, Mordecai told him the whole story, including, now, now watch this, the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. She hired Xerxes, he hired Xerxes as a hitman. Everybody see this? This is a fantastic story, as we're going to see how God turns all this around as we go through this, all right? Mordecai gave Hatchik a Hathach, Hathach. Now, don't laugh, because you couldn't do this, all right? Let's, let's just go down through here, and you, you, you pronounce these names, all right? Okay, so, where was I at? Yeah, Hathach, thank you. <laughs> to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathach, why can't they just say, you know, something simple like, hey, dude, to direct her to go to the king to beg mercy uh, to plead for the people. Okay, so, so basically you can see the going back, all right? So, so he says, uh, uh, you, need, you need to go to the king and see if you can switch the law because 15 million Jews are going to die if you do nothing. This brings us to the second point. Look at your notes. The dilemma. Why is it a dilemma? Look at the next verse. Verse 10. Then Esther told Hathach to go back to relay a message to Mordecai. Now listen, look at verse 11. All the king's officials and even the people in the province know that if anyone who appeared before the king in his inner court without being invited, notice these words, is doomed to die. <laughs> That's kind of a dilemma, isn't it? I mean, she's, she's in a world of hurt. 15 million Jews are going to die if she sits back and does nothing. So this is a big deal. Because if she does go without being invited, and then she goes on, she says something interesting. She says, and the king hasn't invited me to come into his inner courts for 30 days. So she's, she's got this uh, 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 I'm not worthy complex going on. You know, this low self-esteem. The king hasn't invited me in, so, so he's probably mad at me. He's probably angry. Something's going on because he hasn't invited me in for 30 days. So she knows something's wrong. So from verse 13 and 14, Mordecai tells her three things. It's right there in your notes. I believe it's in your notes or you're going to have to write it in. Yeah, you're going to have to write it in. All right, I want you to really zero in on these three things. Number one, Mordecai tells Esther, don't think for a moment that you, because you're in a palace, you can just write this however you want, that you will escape this judgment. Okay? Just because you are in the palace Outside, the Jews are going to die. Don't think you're going to escape from this law, and you too will die. <laughs> okay, that's not a good choice, is it? That's the first choice. If you do nothing, you're not going to escape, and you will die. Secondly, 
if you do nothing, God's going to raise somebody else to deliver the 15 million Jews. And you still will die and your family, your relatives. That's what Mordecai says. He says, if you do nothing, God's going to raise somebody else up. And he's still going to accomplish his will. And you will die and your relatives. In other words, God's will will be accomplished, but you get to have no part in it. I think that's worse than the death. Then the fantastic third thought is this. Perhaps, verse 14, you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Lord Zester, God has been working behind the scenes in chapter 1 with King Ve- Queen Vesti, getting her out of the way. God has been busy, and he, he's busy here uh, uh, working and getting you chosen and bringing all these. I mean, did, remember two weeks ago when we were talking about God used this uh, a servant, uh, this servant, and this servant, and they all, I mean, all of them loved Esther. She found favor in every one of their eyes, which promoted her here, promoted her here, promoted. In other words, you know, Mordecai simply saying, you think maybe God put you in this position so that you could literally save the Jews? That's what he's saying to her. So what a dilemma, right? Major dilemma. She had a major decision to make. The first thing she focused on was what? The sacrifice. All right? She was focusing on the risk and not the reward. And so, hey, and, and sometimes we think that if we sit back and do nothing, that there's no risk. Grab a hold of this. Okay? Mordecai tells her, if you do nothing for the Lord in this situation, you don't step out by faith, and you don't do what God wants you to do, you're still going to have risk. There's consequences for doing nothing. Major consequences. The best thing that you and I could do is step out in faith, and then maybe God will use us. Well, of course he will use us. And we have been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. It's fantastic. Now, I want to bring in, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 for a moment. Philippians chapter 1. I want, to, I want you to read a couple of verses here. Now, Paul is talking about the ultimate meaning of life. And I want to bring this all together in just a moment, all right? Paul here is talking about the, the ultimate purpose of his life, okay? For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, okay? But I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will be honor, will bring honor to Christ, whether by life or death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, all right? So Paul, Paul is literally telling us here what his ultimate purpose of living is what his ultimate aim in life was, or is, and that is honoring Christ, magnifying Christ, making much of Jesus Christ. 
And I say, that's pretty well should be our desire as well. Amen? Our, our goal should be making much of Jesus in our life. But then Paul goes a step further. And he says, even in my death, I want to make much of Christ. Now, it's interesting as I was thinking about this last week. In, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, this is the same meaning for the creation of the universe. The same thought. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, it talks about how that everything, he created everything himself. Listen to what it says. For all things were created through him and for him. Okay? Everything was created through him and for him. What does that mean, for him? Okay? What does that mean? For his glory. The whole universe was created for his glory, for his esteem, for his praise, for his obedience, for his delights, for his worship. The whole universe was created to make much of him. Isn't that interesting? Paul, he starts out saying, my, my life, the small little things over here, it's all about making much of Jesus. And then we find out in Scripture that all of the universe was created to make much of the Lord. Now, I want you to go to, to Romans chapter 1. This was amazing as I, I was reading this and kind of putting it all together. Romans chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, Through Christ, God gave us the privilege and the authority as apostles. Now, here Paul's talking about himself. He's talking about all the other apostles and preachers. But this is us, too. Later on, he tells us that, Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, that's not a commission for the apostles. That's a commission for all of us. Okay? What's the purpose? To tell the Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them. Okay? This is kind of our purpose here at Real Life, is to help people find Jesus and follow Jesus. Pretty simple. He says, we're to tell all the Gentiles, that means us, Gentiles and Jews, that's what you have. And so the rest of the world, that's our calling. Why? So that they will believe and obey, find and follow. The idea is, this, this is, this is really our burden, is that People will find Christ so they will escape hell. Amen? They will escape the fiery pit of hell, the, the payment for their sins for eternity. We, we want people to find Jesus so they escape that. Can I hear an amen? That, that, that's our heartbeat, to find Jesus. But then it says, notice what it says. It says, and to obey him. That's, we, right here, we, we preach it all the time. We want people to, to follow Jesus so they can have the what? Abundant life obedience, and you'll hear it a million times, you'll get tired of it, obedience brings blessings. Disobedience brings judgment and cursing on God's part. Okay? No way around it. So, that's always been my motivation, my, my, my drive from church to church and most of your... But this scripture takes us to another level. It takes us to another level. Notice what it says. Bringing glory to his name. Man, man, this book is covering every area of life. Now, not only 
is that Paul's life and Paul's death and the universe was created to make much of him. But my service to him is not about me getting something, becoming something. It's not even necessarily about rescuing them from hell only and having them abundant life. It's, it's, it's also about making much of Christ. I, I really never seen that here before. I mean, it's, it's amazing. My service, it is about rescuing people. It is about helping people. But it's also about making much of him. <laughs> it's not done. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 says this. After we die, okay, well, after Jesus Christ died, he paid the sin debt. He died. He was rose from the grave. The Bible says God highly exalted him and gave him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every what? Knee should bow of things in heaven, of things on earth, and things under the earth. In other words, everybody's going to bow in heaven. Everybody's going to bow on earth, and everybody in hell is going to bow their knee as well and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So everything, it comes down, even after death, everything is about making much of Christ. I mean, that's a long way through this, but that should be our motive, right? That should be, I mean, if the universe was created for that purpose, if Paul, the greatest evangelist, church planner in the world, if that was his motive, and it should be our service motive, because one day we're going to bow to him and make much of Christ later on. How do we do that? I came all of this way for one purpose. How can we make much of Christ? I'm sure there's a thousand ways, but here I want to bring it back to Esther. Bring it back to Esther. Esther understood, as we're going to see 15 15 through 17, she understood her divine appointment. She finally, the light came on that Mordecai was right, that she had come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I mean, God had worked behind the scenes, brought this to the final finale. Esther, this is what you're here for, to save the Jews. I think the way you and I can make much of Christ is understanding our divine appointment that on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, God is working behind the scenes and bringing us to the point where he wants to what? Use us. Just speaking a word. Just a smile. Just, just, but we have to listen and understand that's the moment. Let me give you an example. We have, we, we're on a bowling league. Yes, I'm old, and I do the... You ever notice people make fun of bowling? How many like to make fun of bowling? Yeah, yeah, I see you, all you young whippersnappers. Okay, so you make... Well, I know why you make fun of bowling, so we're not even going to go there, all right? But my point is, I'm bowling, and there's this old guy next to me, right? So, you know, I don't know why, but he decides... He likes me. So he decides to come over and tell me dirty jokes, Right? <laughs> He does. So he tells me, and it's not too bad. The first one's not too bad. I even told a couple of guys in our bowling league because it wasn't that bad. But still, you know, you don't tell a preacher that, right? So then he decides to tell another one. Again, it wasn't too bad. Then he comes over and he says, man, I really got a real bad one for you. I said, no. 
I said, no, I, you know, I really, I'm trying to keep my mind pure. You know, at this time, I'm, I'm really understanding there's a divine appointment here. You know, that really kept keeping my mind pure. I, I, I don't want, the stuff you already told me, that's, that's bad enough. I don't, I, I don't want any, anything worse. And he goes, oh, okay. So he kind of went back to his thing. Later on, he came back over. He started telling me clean jokes. And, he fi- and then I finally tell him I'm a preacher. He goes, well, I mean, the look on his face, you, it was a divine appointment. <laughs> Let me tell you why. He began to quote me all of these things that he wrote. I mean, by memory. I mean, it had to be a paragraph this long about Jesus Christ and him being the payment for the sin of the world. He's a deacon in a Baptist church up north. <laughs> Can you imagine the divine appointment right there? I mean, he was so in conviction. He, didn't he? He just kept coming over talking to us all the time, just telling me all this great spiritual stuff. What happened? God moved in his heart. He's not only a deacon, he's the head deacon. It was great. It was great. I was like Esther at that moment. In other words, I understood probably the first time in a long time, I understood that God had this divine appointment. And I seized it. So the first thing, how can we make much of Christ is to understand. Now listen, God doesn't only have appointments for me and you, or, or just for me. He has his appointments for everybody. Remember we, we, in that Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, okay, it says that God has created in Christ Jesus for good works. So in other words, God has a purpose and a plan for every one of us. And so he's got all of these divine appointments for us. So how we can make much of Christ is first identify those divine appointments. When I first got saved, I went straight home, and I decided I was going to tell my sister. We went in the back of my house, and I talked to her about Jesus, and she got saved. I mean, all of, I remember one time, my grandfather, and, 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 and let me just tell you these stories as we, so you can understand the divine appointments. Uh, my grandfather died. I witnessed to him that Saturday. He rejected me, so I knew he was in hell. Okay, because when he's in the hospital with a heart attack, I sent the preacher up, not the preacher, but the the soul winning preacher up to talk to him. He got there and my grandfather had another heart attack right there on the table as he's walking in and he died on the table. So he didn't get the opportunity to talk. So I knew my grandpa was in hell and I'm, I'm weeping, right? I'm weeping, wailing like Mordecai. It's not just that he died. He's in hell. So I'm stirred to the bone I, I go to the house and my whole family's there and i'm the one wailing and everybody's coming up trying to come for me i'm the believer hello but i'm willing because i understand where he's at so like the next day before the funeral i'm in my bed you know and i'm just i'm just keep crying and i get my get a hold of myself and i keep crying and about three o'clock in the morning and all of a sudden, I remember the story of the rich man in hell. And how he understood it was too late for him, if you know the story. He cries out to Lazarus, and he says, Lazarus, first he asks for himself, but then he says, would you go to my, Abraham, would you send Lazarus to tell my five brothers about this horrible place? And I'm sitting there thinking about the story, and all of a sudden, it's like my, grandpa, my grandfather, his, he was called Big Al, my grandpa said to him, my entire family's not saved. It's too late for me. 
they need to hear. I mean, popped up, went to my uncle's house, bam, 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 and I'm crying, you know. Uncle, little Al got saved that night. That was a divine appointment because I heard, it, of course, I didn't hear my grandfather, don't get me wrong, but I understood the script and I visualized, I mean, the Holy Spirit just made it alive that he was crying out to me that my uncle Albert wasn't saved. And from that point on, almost to this point, there's only one of my family members that, that's not saved. And I believe it was because of that vision, that understanding of the truth. Those were divine appointments that God had worked behind the scenes. He allowed my grandfather to reject and reject. Now, he didn't cause him, but he rejected over and over to move in my heart to say, I have to do something. Can I hear an amen? amen? We all have these divine appointments. It's not just me, it's you. God wants to use all this. And he set all these things up because I can't talk to people you can talk to. I can't invite people that you can invite. And when people come to church, believe it or not, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. It's not that we're special, but we are special. Amen. Can you hear me, man? We're special. But, but we're no different than anybody else. When we come together for the purpose of God, God shows up. So when you invite somebody, the Holy Spirit does move. He does work. And he's whispering people's ear and he's talking to them about their relationship with him. And guess what? Many people come to know the Lord. So our goal is to make much of Christ. And how we do it is taking advantage. Understand we have these divine appointments. And then take advantage of these divine appointments. Like Esther. Let's look at verse 15 through 17. Let's go back to our text. Esther decides she's going to do this. Verse 15 says this. Then Esther sent... This reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Go gather all these 15 million. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids, these Persians, we're going to fast together. We're going to do the same. And then... Though it be against the law, I will go in to see the king. Now listen to this. This is, this is a step of faith. Understand it. If I must die, I must die. You see that step of faith? I mean, she's putting herself out there. So Mordecai went away and did everything that Esther had told him uh, or had ordered him to do. So the whole entire, now we're not going to get to the, what happened until chapter 5. I mean, it's fantastic. This guy stepped out in faith. Mordecai did. Esther stepped out in faith, and they're all fasting to accomplish this one thing. So, so as we come to our conclusion this morning, it's just a simple message. God is working behind the scenes. He's got plans for you, and he's brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. First of all, you being here and hearing this story about Esther, it's not an accident. I mean, everybody else is gone. They're all Thanksgiving, but some reason you stayed behind. It's not by accident that you heard Esther's testimony that she's come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Maybe you in your heart, you want to make much of Christ. You want to make much of the Lord. You just don't know how. 
So our goal today is just simply saying, Lord, help me identify. I, I believe all of us really want to do what's right. We all want to do what Esther did and step out in faith, but we just need to know where. And so we need to identify those appointments. Thanksgiving Day. Half my family's there, okay? The last couple of years have been so busy, we forgot to give thanks. We forgot to gather in a circle. We do that every year. And so this year, you know, I was contemplating. We've got to get back to that. Can I hear an amen? The whole family gets in a circle. Everybody hates it because they cry. Anybody like that? How many like to cry? There might be a couple of women here. Or they're like me, you like to watch those movies. You know, it just makes me mad that I cry in a sob movie before my wife. Just, anybody like that? You know, she, every night she's got to watch at least one of her love chick flicks. What do you call them? Hallmark Christmas shows. We got about 50,000 of them taped them, so we go through them every night. And I, watch. I cry. I, I know what's coming. When the, fir- when the movie starts out with a guy and a girl, I know what's coming. I, I, could, I could write these things. All right? I start crying before she does. So, so my whole family, oh. So we get together. It was the best, well, I'm going to say the best one because some of our family were gone. But it was fantastic. Because it started off with Judy crying and then Dusty crying. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. But my point is, everybody's crying. We're so thankful that God is moving and stirring in our hearts. Isn't that good? That was the divine appointment for me to say, yes, we're going to do it. Simple things like that. Maybe you have this desire to make much of Jesus, and maybe you're not. Listen, just throwing some things out there. Maybe you're at the head of the home. You're not having your family devotions. You're not even personally having your own devotions. And you know that every time you get together in the book, can I say that's a divine appointment with you? Because the Lord, he speaks, he speaks to us from this book. I mean, his, this is his words. This is his love letter to us. And every time we open it and we read it, that's a divine appointment. So maybe you've been skipping out on that and the Lord's speaking. Listen, if you want to make much of Jesus, that's where it starts. That's where it starts. And then maybe becoming the head of the home that you should be, getting all your family together. Maybe just try it once a week. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to commit to every day. That's fine. What do you think about once a week? You have a time set aside where you just gather the family together, like I did on Thanksgiving. Just gather the family. Come on, sit down, stupid. All right, we're going to do this, whether you like it or not. Okay, you be the head of the home. You get them together. And even if your husband's rebellious, you be the head of the home for that moment. Can I hear an amen, women? Oh, me. All right. I I guarantee you, your husband will listen and sit down. (laughs) Because we live in a generation where who's the leader most of the time? Amen. Okay. I just do that up. All right. So my my point is, this is where it starts. How about, how about marriage? Maybe you need to have a marriage that makes much of Jesus but it doesn't right now. Maybe God wants you to change that, and it's going to start with you. 
Maybe raising kids. Maybe sitting down having heart-to-heart talk with your children. Maybe, maybe it's just simply the way you live. Maybe he's pointing out that sin, like that bowler came to me, you know, thinking I was, I don't know what he was thinking, all right? But he didn't realize who I was. Maybe, maybe, maybe God's speaking to you about a certain specific thing that you're doing that the, Lord, the Lord's just putting his hand and saying, that's not right. So it's, and, and maybe he's saying, you need to make much of Jesus in this area. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just simply saying. So, so on your notes, if you look on the back side, we're just about done here. I want to give you an opportunity. Write down three areas in your life that you want to make much of the Lord. Okay? Maybe it's your just daily living. Maybe it is your devotion. Maybe it is your marriage. Maybe it is at your job. Maybe you're like this guy at the bowling alley. This is where you vent. You talk about your wife or you talk about your husband. You just wah, wah, wah. That doesn't honor God. And that doesn't magnify him and glorify him. And it doesn't make much of Jesus. I'll just give you an opportunity to write some things down that the Lord is speaking to you. And then, of course, fold it up, put it in your pocket. Don't put your name on it. And then we're just going to give you an opportunity. We're small today, so that's a good thing. You can come down here and pray about it. And say, God, I really, I want to make much about you. And I need you to, first of all, show me those divine appointments like you did Esther. Give me a Mordecai that speaks in my ear. That Holy Spirit, I pray he'd be loud and that I need to make much of Christ. Write it down there. And then bring it to the altar. Maybe it is devotions. Maybe it is your prayer time. You're not praying like you should. I, I don't know. There's a hundred different ways we can mag- make much of the Lord. Our finances. E- even our TV watching. Even, even on our phones. There, there's a lot of ways that we can, we can, you know, make much of the Lord or destroy His name and bring His name in the mud. I don't know what it is, but so let's all let's all just stand and and I'm going to pray and and after I'm done praying, I'm just going to just have some some soft music in the background as we as we think about this and and if the Lord puts something on your heart, just come to the altar this morning and and go all in in this one thing that He's t- talking to you about. Put all the chips in. Just give it your all. Say, God, I'm going to do this no matter what. Because God has this divine appointment for you. I mean, he's been working behind the scenes. He's been doing stuff to bring you to this moment. Don't do nothing. There's a high cost to doing nothing. High cost. All right, so every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we just come to you this morning. Lord, we are so grateful for Esther. Lord, we are so thankful for this story. And it just keeps building. This is, this is not a TV show. This is not some myth or some... This is a reality of you moving and working behind the scenes to change the lives of Persia and the Jews to protect them so that Jesus would be born in the line of, of the Jews. I mean, you, you worked all of this out for your glory and your honor to make much of your son. Now, Father, we're asking... As we pause for a few moments and we think about our own lives, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would lay on our hearts and on our minds some areas that 
that we know we should be making much of you, much of your son, but we're not doing it like we should. So, Lord, I just pray that you would, each of our hearts, that we'd be able to recognize those divine appointments. And then we would have courage like Esther and step out on faith. And put our feet to action. God, I pray you'd have your will in your way. If there's someone here that's never trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, they've never found you yet, God, I pray that you'd draw them to you. Others that maybe aren't following you, they're not, they're not just walking close to you. Father, I pray you'd draw them. This is a divine appointment that they're here this morning so that you can hear, they can hear about this and be drawn to you. God, just have your will and your way in each and every life. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one's looking around. If God spoke to you this morning, and you want to come to this altar right now, just don't hesitate, come on down and do business with God. Why don't you do that right now? It's just